would like to begin by addressing the elephant in the room, which isn't an elephant at all. Of course, the elephant in the room is rarely, if ever, an elephant. <laughs> Deep thoughts by Megan Raymer. In this case, the elephant in the room is a massive slithering pile of poisonous snakes, or if you love alliteration as much as I do, a slithering slew of venomous vipers sent by God, sent by God, to mortally wound the moaning, complaining, ungrateful, and faithless Israelites, and one bronze snake, fashioned by Moses at God's command to cure anyone who was bit by one of those ghastly, merciless, poisonous, slithering serpents. Sent by God. <laughs> I think I'd rather have an actual elephant in the room. <clears throat> there are so many questions here. I found it this week rather refreshing and hysterical. Um, I'm going to put her on the spot. Melanie, you're welcome. Uh, that Melanie's first question after reading this in pastor's meeting this week was, where did Moses get the bronze? <laughs> in the middle of the wilderness? It's a great question, and one that it would have taken me a long time to get to because I have so many questions before that. I do love reading the Bible in community. Thank you. <laughs> Not only do I have questions about the story, there's so much attributed to God in this story that is so very troubling. I could spend all morning delicately teasing it all out, being very careful, but we don't have a lot of time. So color me indelicate, but I don't think God sent poisonous snakes to kill people. I just don't believe it to be true. I don't care how much those moaning, ungrateful, faithless Israelites complained against God, a God who sends vipers to bite and mortally wound humans is simply incompatible with the God that is revealed in the life and ministry and teachings of Jesus. So, that behind us, I'm going to move right along. <laughs> While I don't believe God sent serpents to punish people by poisoning and killing them, I do believe that the people experienced the onslaught onslaught of deadly vipers as divine punishment. That's how it felt to them. That's the story that they have told. They knew exactly what they had been doing. They'd been complaining for a really long time, murmuring or muttering as the Hebrew describes it. And in fact, the First Testament in the books of Exodus and Numbers specifically documents quite a number of these uh, what Hebrew Bible scholars call murmuring stories, because that's the Hebrew word. They keep murmuring against Moses and Aaron. First, they can't or don't want to drink the bitter waters of Marah, and they complain against Moses, asking what they're supposed to drink, and God instructs Moses to throw a piece of wood in the water, which then makes the water sweet. So then they have sweet water to drink. Then they're hungry, wishing they had died in Egypt. 
longing for the flesh pots. I still wonder what these flesh pots are. The flesh pots of their enslavement when they had their fill of bread and they complain against Moses. More that murmuring, muttering. They complain against Moses and Aaron and God rains down manna from heaven. Bread from the sky every day. Next, they want meat. They're apparently not content with the bread. Maybe they're gluten-free. I don't know. They want meat. God sends quails. According to one account, God sends quails every day at twilight. According to another account, God sends so many quails, the quail meat eventually comes out their nostrils. Yes, it does actually say that in the Bible. Next, they are thirsty, and they quarrel with Moses. So God instructs Moses to strike the rock of Horeb with his staff and water springs up. And finally, from today's story, they are impatient. Perhaps they're impatient. We don't know exactly why they're impatient, but embedded in the story is the fact that they have to go the long way around Edom because the Edomites came and met them at the territory of their land, the border, the boundary, with swords and refused them entry, so disallowed them to pass through their land, probably because they knew these people were looking for a home. (laughs) They're not just wandering for the rest of their lives. Kept them out, so they had to go the long way around Edom. And for the first time in all these murmuring stories, the Israelites complain against God. They speak against God, not just Aaron and Moses, but God. So, they know what they've been doing. So when people start dropping like flies due to a slithering venomous epidemic of deadly snake bites, they get real contrite real quick. It's no wonder that the snakes felt a little like divine punishment. They sort of knew they had something coming. Now, it's easy to make these murmuring, muttering, complaining, faithless Israelites the butt of our jokes. And I've done it a little bit this morning. It's not the first time I've done it. But all joking aside, I have had a couple of actually really fun experiences camping out in the desert for a few days and nights at a time. Fully equipped and geared out. Thank you, REI. But the thought of spending a whole week, much less a month, much less a year, much less on the way to 40 years wandering gearless in the desert. They did this without REI. All jokes aside, I'd be right there with them, longing for the relative safety and security of slavery. Doesn't take much imagination to go right there. And then come snakes on top of it all. Now, I've been thinking about uh, our doors here in relation to our Lenten theme, People of Promise. And doors are thresholds. They're gateways into a new space of some kind, a new room, a new house, a something. But our doors are gateways into what? They're gateways into covenanted life with God. So our theme is people of promise. And so this the idea is how a promise is like a gateway, a threshold that you enter into. 
There's so much about that, about any promise that is uncertain or it's simply unknown when you're standing at the threshold. I think about entering a covenanted relationship or entering into a promise. We may say yes. We may stand at the door and say yes, I'm ready to walk through. And we may say that yes very intentionally. We may say it a little glibly. We may say it earnestly. But however we say that yes while standing at the threshold, we may very well mean it, but we may have no idea what we're actually saying yes to. Some promises are just way bigger than they seem at the beginning. Or they're just really different in big or small ways than they initially seem. Isn't that true for all of you? I presume about everybody in this room can relate to that. I'm not sure I've ever said yes to a thing or a person in my life that I fully understood at the moment of saying yes. Promises always change and grow and they unfold and they deepen and they broaden and occasionally they veer way off in some unanticipated direction that you couldn't have imagined at the moment of standing at the threshold. So whatever awaits us on the other side of the doorway, in this Lenten season we're specifically thinking about this covenanted relationship with God. So whatever awaits us on the other side of that doorway of covenanted relationship with God, we can be sure as we're crossing the threshold that it won't be all fresh springtime cherry blossoms, decadent chocolate lava cakes, and dance parties. That's one thing I'd welcome on the other side of that door. We've all lived way too much life to fall prey to that delusion. Living as a people of promise or a people of covenant, it doesn't mean no suffering or struggle. Nothing and no one is capable of preventing suffering. Not even God. What crossing the threshold does mean, however, is that God promises to be present with us in our suffering. Present with us in whatever it is that lies beyond that threshold. Whatever it is that's going to surprise us. It's going to take us in places we didn't know we were agreeing to go. Now, I'm not so foolish as to blithely declare what Moses' bronze snake means or symbolizes. It is way too weird to nail it down so quickly and simply. But here's my best guess. And it's possibly the best one-sentence summary of my sermon, since some of you said you appreciated my one-sentence sermon last week. Here it is. If you've been wandering off, come on back for a sentence, and then you can go again. God is present with us in our suffering. In the snake bites of our life. God goes with us. Being a people of promise has nothing whatsoever to do with leading a worry-free or struggle-free life, but rather a life lived in relationship. And always, always the chance to renew a promise after breaking it, to re-enter a promise after rejecting it. So when you cross the threshold and you find you were utterly unprepared for the reality of where your yes would take you. After you falter 
or fail or flub or flee or fight. You can always return. The door, so to speak, is always open. I like that one. (laughs) The door is always open. The good news that I find in this strangest of Bible stories, I can't believe this even makes it into the lectionary. The only reason it does is because John mentions it in that lovely passage that we heard this morning. The good news that I find in the strangest of Bible stories is that God is with us in the wandering, in the complaining, and in the sting of venomous dangers. In all of it, we are not alone. God is present with us in that suffering. Now, I'm thinking of our season of Jubilee discernment not because it's related to suffering. (laughs) I'm thinking of those three teams for capital, land, and labor. We all have been doing this for more than a year now. We know that these are the pillars of biblical Jubilee as proclaimed in the Hebrew Bible and then lived and embodied by Jesus. Capital, land, and labor are resources. These three teams have done, they're listening, they've invited us into listening deeply to one another and to God, and they've turned over their reports to the spiritual leadership team, to SLT, and SLT met this weekend, and we had a good, productive, we call it retreat, Um, it's partially retreat and partially a long meeting, but we had a great weekend together and a really good productive day yesterday, starting to do some integrating of what we heard from those three teams, starting to pull them together. What are the threads through them all? And what are the actions that flow from some of what we've heard? And we're looking ahead to a couple of really important congregational meetings that I think deserve sermon time, not just announcement time. The first is March 25th, so two weeks from today. And we're starting it at 11, and we've got paid childcare up through 12. We want our older kids to participate with us and to bring their voices into who we are as a church community. We're going to have food, uh, and we're going to start to explore the actions that are flowing from the listening that we did, the deep listening that we did. The next one is June 10th. Mark your calendar for that one, too. We're in the next phase of our discerning together as we move towards those actions that flow from our listening. And some of those actions are going to fall right within our comfort zone. They're going to be fun and easy and just like fit with us and who we know ourselves to be. Some of them are going to sort of dance out around the periphery of our comfort zone a little bit, pull us out. And some of them might launch us right out into some really uncomfortable and not easy territory. And of course, my comfort zone is slightly different than yours, and yours is slightly different than the person sitting next to you and the person sitting behind you. So maybe take a moment and actually look at the person sitting next to you or the person sitting behind you or in front of you. Because these are your people. These are your people. And we're going to be moving forward together with some fear, with some trepidation, also with some excitement and some eagerness to see what is around the next bend, what is across the next threshold. And hopefully with some trust that we've got this. And even more that God's got this. (laughs) God's got us. 
When we stood at the threshold of the season of Jubilee, behind that were years, this is before my coming, behind that were years of questions sort of arising and started to notice these questions and when were we going to have some dedicated time that we could really dive into them. And then when we stood at the threshold of saying, of of receiving a gift from God that Jubilee was our biblical grounding and it was the lens through which we were going to do our discerning together. When we stood at that threshold and we said yes and we crossed over into this intentional season of discerning about our resources of land, labor, and capital wealth, when we engaged that first worship series on biblical jubilee more than a year ago now, a year and a half ago, when we participated in that adult Sunday school series, and even when we showed up for the listening groups in people's homes and in people's yards over the past year plus, we didn't know specifically where we were heading. We couldn't have known. But we stood at the doorway and we crossed over with our collective yes to whatever it was that God would reveal about who we're becoming together and what we're being called by God to do in joy and faith and hope. And now that we're here together, now that I've kind of taken us into the Jubilee stuff, I feel like I need to go back and repeat verbatim my own sermon, (laughs) what I just said. And that's this. Being a people of promise has nothing whatsoever to do with leading a worry-free, struggle-free life, but rather a life lived in relationship within this room, within this neighborhood, within this city, within this world. And always the chance to renew a promise after breaking it, to re-enter a promise after rejecting it, so that when you cross the threshold, and here I'm going to speak of the collective you. I think last time I said these words, just a few minutes ago, I was thinking more individual you and the thresholds that each of us cross in our lives. Now I'm going to say collective you, when you cross the threshold and find you were utterly unprepared for the reality of where your yes would take you. (laughs) And you falter or fail or flub or flee or fight can always return. The door is always open. The good news that I find in the strangest of Bible stories is that God is present with us in the wandering, in the complaining, and the sting of venomous dangers. We are not alone. God is with us. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God.